Okay, well, take your Bibles uh, today and turn to Matthew chapter number five, if you would. Matthew in chapter number five, as we stand in honor of God's word. Good to have uh, guests here, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, some for the first time. We're sure glad that you're here. Hope to be a help to you today and, and hope it'll be a, a blessing for sure. Uh, good to have the fine airs here. I know they're getting ready to go here fairly soon and as missionaries. And so uh, pray for them as they'll be uh, heading out. So uh, thankful for them. They'll be living in South Korea. So a big change uh, for them coming up. And so keep them in prayer if you would. And uh, all of our missionaries, it's good to have them here with us here for a little bit. Okay, Matthew and chapter number five is where we are. And uh, last week we built a biblical case as to why uh, salt is good. Physical salt and that we are to be uh, salty Christians, I guess you could say, right? To have a preserving effect upon, um, upon our society as God uh, placed us here to have. And Christian character will have that impact. So we're going to continue on now. And, and so Jesus in this chapter is speaking to his disciples and, and not to the multitudes, but to the disciples so that in turn the disciples could go and have an impact on the multitudes. So he's emphasizing character he didn't emphasize skill first. He emphasized character first, because otherwise we could be just highly skilled sinners. He wants to change us. And so uh, the character that is of Christ is displayed in verses three and through verse number 12. And then the impact that that character is to have is found in verse 13 through 16. And so then we get into a part of his sermon. Um, I don't typically preach somebody else's sermon, but when it's Jesus' sermon, I don't mind to because this is, this is good. This is his sermon and we're gleaning from it. And, um, and so anyways, uh, he's now going to explain, begin to explain, how is it that we get that character? How is it that we come to that? Let's read about it in verse 17. Think not, he says, that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but notice this, to fulfill. I'm not come to destroy the law of the prophets, but to fulfill. For verily, <clears throat> I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, notice that emphasis and even the order, whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20 is a, a focal verse for us here this morning. For I say unto you, Jesus says, I say unto you that except your what? Righteousness. All right. Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now that, that had to jar them. It had to jar them. Our series is Jesus is King. Jesus is King. Uh, not just that he will be king, but he is king. And what he says is authoritative. And so this morning, the title of the message is this, Legal Experts and the Case for Righteousness. Legal Experts and the Case for Righteousness. And I want to encourage everyone here this morning to do this. Examine the state or the condition of your righteousness. Examine the case or the condition the state of your righteousness, legal experts, and the case. A case of eternal consequence. Um, the case for 
righteousness. Now, I meant to have you do this as well. And so maybe after we're seated, you could do this. But if you'll find Romans chapter three, that'll help us towards the end of the message. All right. So Romans three, you can find your place there. I'll let you go ahead and be seated as we get into God's word here this morning. Thank you for standing in honor of God's word. If you read the news or you watch the news, you'll sometimes uh, read or you'll see statements or headlines such as this. uh, Legal experts weigh in on. You see that? Hear that? Legal experts. We heard it just this week. Um, Legal experts weigh in on. Uh, here's a, actually, these are actual headlines. I'm not going to give all the subject matter to them, but that was one and it, it goes on. But the point is just legal experts, not the actual cases they're, they're dealing with. Uh, one other headline said this, these are difficult cases to win. Here's what legal experts think about. Legal experts discuss, now this was more specific, legal experts discuss the COVID-19 crisis, and then the rest of the title goes on. Another one was the expert in the room, it's you, and that was from uh, some law training, uh, that you, if you want to be a legal expert, a scholar of the law, right? Uh, <clears throat> now, I have friends who are lawyers, um, uh, and they were my friends from church, just for clarity. Um, so anyways, uh, uh, but I'm thankful for them. You know, if we face some situations here at the church or, or people do, uh, I'm glad to know some people that, are, that we could call on, you know. Uh, think about my good friend, Brother Jeff Swigert, that's down in Texas now and has been through quite a bit in terms of his training. And, and uh, he was a member here, helped teach we co-taught the, uh, the Family Foundations class, and, and um, he was pastoring up in uh, um, Woodward, yeah, Oklahoma, and uh, just felt like God wanted him to go into uh, legal studies because our uh, freedoms are in jeopardy in our land. And so I, I feel like he's very gifted for that. So anyways, I think we all understand what legal experts are and, and what they do. But I, we're not here to consider, you know, uh, certain criminal cases or civil cases or, or domestic and, and uh, so forth. We're, we're here this morning, I believe, to consider what would be the most important case. And that would be the case pertaining to your righteousness, your righteousness. What is righteousness? It it would have to do with your uprightness, your uprightness, uh, your basically your standing before God, your behavior um, that God expects. How can sinful man, some would even take issue with that, and object and say, try to prove that man is basically good. Well, just read the news, watch the news, and you'll see that man has a nature, a sin nature that is clearly not good. In fact, the Bible makes the case, uh, had you turn, and you don't have to go there now, we'll go there later, but in Romans 3, Paul talks about the law, and he talks about how that the law was given Uh, that every mouth may be stopped, that you'd stop trying to argue your case, but every mouth would be stopped so that everyone would become and be guilty before God. You're not going to prove otherwise. You may try to convince other people, um, but you're not going to, you're not going to win a case with God as to your righteousness. Because the Bible is plainly said, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. Everyone has broken God's commandments. How then can sinful man be right with God? That, that is the question of the Bible. How can man who has violated God's clear word stand righteous? And there were religious groups, scholars, 
legal experts that were weighing in on this in Jesus' day, and they continue to weigh in on it today. How can man be right with God? Scribes, our word in the text, one of the words was scribe. Ezra was a scribe. We know from Ezra 7, he was a ready scribe. Uh, other uh, scribes are found, you know, throughout God's word. And, uh, but the word has to do with writing. The Greek word is related to that and, and how that they would be uh, involved with the law. In fact, you might remember even from our study of Matthew how that uh, when, when Herod understood that the Messiah, Jesus, was born, then he wanted to know where is it that Messiah would be born. So who did they call? They called the scribes. They called the scholars. They, they called these individuals that were supposed to know, and by the way, who did know the Old Testament. I mean, they could quote it. They memorized large portions of it. Uh, they would recite it to this day. I mean, no doubt, even, even this very morning, um, Orthodox Jews have gathered uh, at the, what we know, the Wailing Wall and, and have recited the Shema, the, the, uh, the portion of Numbers and Deuteronomy where, they're, where they are saying, Hear, O Lord, our, hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord is one Lord. And, and so they are quoting, I mean, passages of Scripture. These men, I'm telling you, they knew the law. They knew the Old Testament. And, and very quickly, it's like they didn't even have to search. They went to Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2 that he would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. I mean, they were quick with the answer. These were scribes. These were scholars. And then you have also the Pharisees. And the word Pharisee, it's a transliterated word that basically means this ones who are set apart. They are the separatist. They were an organized society of Jews that claimed authority in interpreting the scriptures and setting the rules for the observance of the law in daily life. They would be the most visible, most influential segment of Jewish societies in, in the eyes and in the minds of the people of the land, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were scholars uh, of the highest order. I, I'm, I'm just trying to get across early on here, just simply this fact. They were the established authorities of the day on matters of the law and the prophets. I'm telling you, if you wanted to, if you wanted to know something, if you want to know who the authority was, then they were it. They were the religious authorities of the day. All you had to do was just ask them. And they would tell you so. Jesus said to those that grew up in that society, who would have said, if anybody's right with God, it's got to be the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, I tell you that except your righteousness exceed, surpass, go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't see the kingdom of God. Which is to say this, the scribes and Pharisees, no matter how elite they are in their own minds, they are not granted access to the kingdom of God. And they believed in Jehovah God. They believed in the Old Testament. And yet Jesus said they shall not see the kingdom of God. In fact, we could run couldn't we to, to John chapter number three and how that Jesus is interacting with a Pharisee that came to him by night, Nicodemus by name. And, and Nicodemus is, is interviewing Jesus and wanting to understand some more. And, and Jesus, I mean, just right out of the gate of their discussion, said this, Nicodemus, except you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. And they thought because of their pedigree, they thought because of their heritage, the fact, that, uh, the fact alone that they were Jews, but especially that they were Pharisees, that they were granted absolute, immediate access to the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, Jesus totally turned everything upside down in their thinking. And he said, you've got to be born again. Well, you can imagine what kind of stir that this would have caused. 
as he called out the leading scholars of the day, basically saying, I tell you, they don't understand what real righteousness is. And everybody would say, wait a minute, the scribes and Pharisees, I mean, they, they understand. In fact, they even calculated it this way. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament when you read it. And they broke it down, 248 that were, that were a positive thing and the rest of them, things that you were not supposed to do. I mean, I'm telling you, they had it down as to what you could do and what you could not do. And Jesus says, unless you score higher than they, well, how many have you kept? How many of those laws have you kept without fail? <laughs> How many of those have you kept meticulously? I mean, all of them. How many have you kept? What, what if it was this way? What if the scribes and Pharisees says, well, yeah, I mean, I know that I've done that, but, 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 but. I've kept 600 of them. Oh, really? Now, I'd take issue with that just right there. All right? Because uh, 10 of them are big in the Ten Commandments, and I guarantee there is more of those than they, that they had broke than what they'd like to admit. So is Jesus saying then that to go to heaven or to be in the kingdom of heaven, does that mean that if the scribes and Pharisees, if they scored high, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I don't know. Let's, let's score them maybe at 240. Does that mean that they've at least kept 240 of them? Does that mean you have to, you have to keep 241 of them? Or 245 or higher? I mean, what's, what's the baseline here? Okay, if you're going to go that route, everybody listen to me right here. If you're going to go that route, if you're going to base your entrance into the kingdom of heaven on your performance, 613. All of them. Every single one of them. You got to keep them all without fail. All your days. Not just like start now. What, what if it was? What, what, if, what if it were that way? What if I said, okay, look, okay. Everything in the past, you just, it's gone. But okay, right now, from here on, let's, let's do it. I mean, you say, I don't think I'd last till the end of church. Okay, so you know you. And Jesus knew you. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows us. Jesus knew the scribes and Pharisees. I'm telling you, they, are, they were sincere in this. Someone gave, gave me a, a prayer shawl, a Jewish prayer shawl, a talit is, as it's called. And, and I mean, they're, they're wearing this, got the four fringes in it. I've got it in my office. I thought about bringing it in here and, and, and displaying it, you know, but, but uh, I, I, anyways, I, I didn't. Uh, but I, I mean, they're, they're sincere about it and they're very zealous about it. But Jesus said, Regardless of how sincere and regardless of how zealous you are, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you don't have a chance of the kingdom of heaven. Notice again in chapter 5 of verse, um, verse 17 of chapter 5 in Matthew, Jesus says this, Think not, think not that I am come to destroy the law. Or the prophets. Now, why would he say that? This is early on in his ministry, right? This is early on. I mean, he's, he's been announced, you know, and, and now he's beginning to preach. He's beginning to teach. I mean, he's, he's been, been around some, but, but right at the very beginning, he says, now don't suppose. The word think not, um, it means that don't assume, don't presume, don't suppose that I have come to destroy the law. Now, why would he say that? Well, I, I would suppose fact, could make a case that they thought based on his actions and based on what he has said, he must be against the law. Look at that. Look at that. The scribes and Pharisees would point out, look at that. He is healing on the Sabbath day. It must be he didn't really care about the law of Moses. And then in addition to that, look at him. Look at him now, would you please? This new rabbi that's come on the scene. Uh, this renegade maverick rabbi. I mean, look at him sitting with, with harlots and, and publicans and sinners and drunkards and he's not separated from them. And, and look at him. I mean, this is early on. So this is prior to him having an action, interaction with Roman centurions and Syrophoenician women that were Gentiles and such. But I'm, I'm telling you, there's enough right here for them to go off of to say this. He must not really care about Moses. He must not really care about the prophets. Oh, yes, he does. 
He did not come. Don't get in your mind that he has come to annul or to put away the, the law or to discard the law. No way. He says, I am come not to destroy it, but to fulfill it. All right. Now, notice this. He says, I am come. That indicates this, that Jesus came to this earth on a specific mission, which indicates things were not right in that society. That's why he came. And I'm saying to you today that's, that the reason that he came then has everything to do with why he came for you. He says, I am come. And, and you see that right off the bat, they're going to have war. There's going to be great strife. And isn't that the case that even as you keep reading the New Testament, that you see that Paul, who one, was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, who God saved and put him on the, on the road of being a missionary and, and sharing the gospel, that some of the greatest problems he had, he had was not from pagans that didn't believe in the true and living God, but it was of those that were Pharisees and Sadducees and they nearly pulled him apart. And Stephen was accused of, uh, of, of not abiding by the law. And, and, and so Jesus would be accused of that. Don't you stand for the law, does he? Stand for the law, mercy sakes alive. He gave it. Does he stand for the prophets? He sent them. See, so you, you have these divisions in the Old Testament. The law would, would deal with the first five books of the Old Testament. And then you have the prophets, which would deal with the historical section of the, of the Old Testament. And then also the prophets, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the other prophets that are given in the Old Testament. Then you also have the writings. The writings are not mentioned here, but that would be like the writings of David and of Solomon and so forth. That, that, that would be the poetic section. So basically it says, they were saying, Jesus is evidently not a Upholding everything in the Old Testament. Wait a minute. He's not just upholding it. He's fulfilling it. The word destroy here means to dis dismantle or discard or invalidate an institution. Are you invalidating the Sabbath? Are you invalidating what God said here? Are you trying to abolish this? Are you doing away with this? It's like, uh, in fact, the word uh, here destroy is actually used in another context about how that even a, a beast, a burden, you know, like an ox or something, would the harness would be taken out and it would be put out to pasture. Are, they were saying this. Are you putting the Old Testament out to pasture, so to speak? Again, he says, I'm not come to destroy it, but I've come to fulfill it. The word fulfill is pivotal in our understanding of this. He says, I've not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it, to fill it up, to, to fulfill what it says. Obviously, he lived up to it. He, he never once broke any of the commandments, obviously. This word is used in chapter one of Matthew in verse number 22, where it talks about how that this was spoken or this was done, that it might be fulfilled. Same word, that it might be fulfilled. So the idea here is that it might give true or complete meaning to something to provide the real significance of. So Jesus said, I did not come to annul the Old Testament, but rather I came to do this. I came to give the true or complete meaning of the Old Testament. I came to, to give the real significance of the Old Testament. One man said it this way, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets in that they, the law and the prophets, point to him for their ultimate fulfillment. And so it's not a question of, uh, as to of Jesus' relationship to the law, but rather it's the, it's the other way around, the law's relationship to Jesus. You say, um, preacher, where, where are you going with this? Well, Two-thirds of our Bible is the Old Testament. And then we have the New Testament. You say, aren't we New Testament Christians? Yes. Does that mean that we don't have anything to do with the Old Testament? Oh, no. Oh, no. The, the Old Testament needs to be considered. In fact, uh, Paul said these things were written for our admonition. 
and we're to study them. And, and so uh, we have not wasted 11 years of your life by going through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Judges, and Ruth. And, and we're not going to waste our time in 1 Samuel as we get to it tonight. Oh, no, no, no way. Hey, wait a minute. That Old Testament is very important. But there are, there are Christians that say, oh, the Old Testament, we don't want to give any attention to that. And, but no, listen, if you don't give attention to the Old Testament, you're missing the backbone of the Bible. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill it. In fact, I like what one man said. He said this, the Old Testament in the gospel is, I'm sorry, the Old Testament is the gospel in bud. The New Testament is the gospel in full flower. The Old Testament, he has another illustration, is the gospel in blade. The New Testament is the gospel in full ear. I used to go out in my grandparents' um, garden and, and hoping, you know, that corn was ready. And uh, sometimes, you know, you start to pull off that ear and, and it wasn't, the kernels weren't in there yet. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite right. It was on its way, but it wasn't there yet. That, that's like the Old Testament. It's there and it's growing and it's revealing who Jesus is, but the New Testament, full ears. Complete revelation as to who God is. And, and so there it is. In fact, I, I like one more illustration here before we move on. Warren Wiersbe said this, uh, if you have an acorn or an acorn, depending on where you're from, if you have an acorn, I can destroy it in one of two ways. I can put it on a rock and smash it to bits with a hammer, or I can destroy it in this way. I can let it be planted in the ground and let it fulfill itself and become in an oak tree. So what they were saying about Jesus is this, because of his actions and because of some of the things that he was saying, they were saying this, you are taking the law and the prophets and you are placing it on the rock and you are smashing it to smithereens. Jesus says, no, 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 not at all, but rather this, that which was prophesied of me and foreshadowed of me in the Old Testament is now a tree. It's fulfilled in him. I'm saying to you this morning that every single blood sacrifice that was offered from the day, the, all the way from the Old Testament, the end of that system as they offered up the lamb year by year by year, all of those blood sacrifices were pointing to one person and that one person would be the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ that would take away the sins of the whole earth. Every one of them is fulfilled in him and thus there's no more need for sacrifice. Every priest after the order of Melchizedek and the priest after the order of Aaron, all that priesthood and every one of those priests, they were all pointing to one priest, our great high priest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus there's no more need for that type of priest that would offer blood sacrifices for our sins. No way, because he has done that once and for all. It's fulfilled in him. And thus no more need of the tabernacle or of the temple or of the sacrifices or of the priesthood and etc. And in fact, the whole book of Hebrews is written to say this. Basically, if you allow me to use the analogy, why would you go back to the acorn when you have the tree? Why would you go back to the bud when you've got the flower? Why would you go back to the blade when you've got the full ear? He's saying this makes no sense. Fulfilled in him. If you want to know who Jesus is, friend, then you need to read the law and the prophets because they testify of him. See, the prophets also testify of him. I, I think about passages about his virgin birth and passages about, about his sacrificial death on the cross in Isaiah 53. It all is pointing to him. In fact, Jesus says that has been fulfilled and everything else that is there is going to be fulfilled. Certainly, Jesus did not annul the moral law. In fact, the next verses that follow in chapter 5, if you look and you, and you see, fact, in fact, a repeated phrase, look at verse 18, he says, I say unto you, verse 20, I say unto you, verse 22, he says, it's been said, but I say unto you, verse 28, but I say unto you, in fact, uh, 13 times in this one chapter, it talks about how I say unto you, evidently. Jesus' authority, his word carried more weight than the scribes and Pharisees. Because what they would often do is they would quote rabbi so-and-so said. Rabbi said, rabbi said, rabbi said, rabbi said. Jesus said, I say. 
All right. You say don't commit murder. You've heard it's been said. And it is. It's in the law. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Jesus says don't even have anger and hate in your heart. He took it to a whole nother level. They were okay. I'm talking about the scribes and Pharisees. They were okay if you got a grudge against somebody. That's okay. Just don't kill them. Jesus says don't even hold a grudge. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, you've heard that, but I say, don't even look upon a woman in, in lust after in your heart. He heightened it. He didn't come to set it aside and kind of loosen things up. In fact, he put the bar so high that we can't do it. Is it safe to say Jesus is stricter than the Pharisees? <laughs> oh, man. Do you know what kind of war I would have just started right there had a Pharisee heard me say that? No, he's not. We're stricter than he is. Oh, really? We'll get to it. Anyways. He did not disannul the moral law. He raised the bar. Our Lord said unto the scribes and Pharisees, everybody still following this? It's making sense. We're going somewhere with it. It's, I realize sometimes our work, even on Sunday morning, is a little bit tedious because, you know, we're dealing with some things that are just not easy to understand. But, but listen, folks, we need to understand these things. We do. Our Lord said to the Pharisees, now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but in, the inward part is full of ravening, ravening and wickedness. You're clean on the outside, but you're wicked on the inside. In other words, you've got outward conformity, but you've got inward corruption. A little girl was having a hard time, if I understand the story right, obeying her mom and her mom's admonition and instruction, commandment to sit down. And they went back and forth for a while. And finally, the little girl sat down. And then she said this, I'm sitting down on the, in, on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. That's it. That's the Pharisees. On the outside, I mean to tell you, they were sitting down. Looked like they were doing everything God was expecting and even teaching them. I mean, people would sit at their feet and they would instruct them in the way of the law. You want to be right with God, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. We've got 613 laws to cover here from the Old Testament. But in addition to that, we need to cover what it says in the Mishnah and also in the Talmuds that explain the Mishnah. And there's a bunch of them in there. It's going to take us a while and probably actually the rest of your life. And even then, we're not real sure if you're going to make it or not. Well, that's encouraging. Back to chapter 5, look at it again. It says in verse number 18, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass away. Heaven and earth. Uh, that's creation. That's not heaven, the abode of God. It's heaven as in the heavens that are created and, and the earth that is created. And until physical creation passes away, the law will endure. One jot, one tittle will not pass away. One jot, it's going to last. Uh, one jot, one not one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jot? What's a jot? <laughs> uh, the Greek word is iota. Maybe you've said it, iota. There's a couple ways. Potato, potato, you get it, right? <laughs> all right. It's the smallest Greek letter. In fact, the iota would subscript, which means it comes under, in the dative case, it comes under the letter. It's really small. It'd be like looking at a comma in our English language. It's small. But most likely what he had in mind here is the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the yod. The yod, it looks like an apostrophe. It looks like a comma. It's a small little letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And the Aramaic would have the yod. But I'm here to tell you that somebody counted. I don't know if they just had like spare time on their hands. But there are 66,420 yods in the Old Testament. That's a bunch of yods. Jesus says, I'm telling you, down to the smallest letter of the Hebrew Bible, everything will be fulfilled. 
Well, what's a tittle? A tittle um, is a distinguishing mark. It's a little stroke. Uh, we might say in English, you know, you got to dot every I and cross every T, right? Because you don't want the T to look like an L or something like that. I mean, you can get them easily confused, right? And so you make little marks. Well, in, in Hebrew, you have several letters that look a lot alike. And as I took biblical Hebrew, I got a bunch of them mixed up, as you might imagine. But one of, those, one of those that's especially hard to distinguish would be the fourth letter. If you happen to have Hebrew in your Bible in the sense of like Psalm 119, it's all arranged according to the Hebrew alphabet. In Psalm 119, the fourth letter is Dalit. And so it, it's basically our letter D. It makes the D sound. But then Resh, further down in the alphabet, looks almost identical to it, except Dalit has a little hanging over thing. Okay, now that's a real technical term, isn't it? <laughs> it's got a little bark that just kind of hangs over to this, to this side. You make it straight across and then down and the Resh just kind of go, you just go straight around and over. looks like a letter R in our English language. So the only way to distinguish it is by this little, this little hangy over thing right here. Just this little tittle, a little bitty mark. That's the way you tell the difference. Boy, you really needed to know that, right? You know what, you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying this, listen to this. Don't, don't accuse me. Don't think for one second that I've come to disannul the law. I've not come to disannul the law. I've come to fulfill the law. Everything is to be fulfilled in me. In fact, heaven and earth shall pass away, but not one jot, not one yod or one till, not one little, the slightest little mark will be preserved and will be fulfilled. So, so don't think Jesus is anti-law or anti-prophets, absolutely not. Everything points to him. All right? So he's establishing that, but he's going somewhere else with it. Okay, let's, let's pick up uh, here as well in verse number 19 then. If that's the enduring nature of the law, since, since the law abides and, and since you will, you will have to stand before God and give an account for everything in your life, and he does hold us accountable to the yod and the tittle. Do you understand this? I mean, is it really that serious? It's that serious. Uh, maybe he's going to fudge on some of these things. Maybe he's just going to kind of slack up on some of these. Maybe it's not, maybe it's important then, but it's not important now. Maybe, maybe he's okay with this. Oh, friend, listen, it's, it's every jot and tittle. So because of that, then he says in, in verse number 19, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments. You say, I didn't know there was big commandments and little commandments. Well, Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 23, he talks about the weightier matters of the law. He says about the scribes and the Pharisees. Are you following this? He says about the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, you tithe of mint and rue and, 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 and these spices, you, you tithe down to that. And yet you don't do judgment or love people. You're giving all kinds of attention to these, to these um, lesser weight commandments. Although, hey, wait a minute. No, Jesus, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that there are commandments that don't matter very much. Every commandment matters because every one of them are given by God. But he's also saying in Luke chapter 11, he says, But woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and love of God. These ought ye have to done, have done and not leave the others undone. In other words, he's saying, wait a minute, you're missing the whole essence of the Bible. And you're feeling smug about it. So he says, if you... If you break or you, you lose, you get relaxed on one of the least of these commandments and teach men so, tell them, oh, that's not a big deal, then you're least in the kingdom. Yeah. But if you do those things and you're living by what God says and you're trying to teach others to do the same thing because it really matters, then he says you're great in the kingdom of heaven. All right, so I thought about it in this way with, with regard to our Sunday school uh, workshop yesterday. Somebody mentioned, Miss Lynette Evans mentioned Miss Marie Tatum, who, uh, who stood about that tall or so and, and had 
really red hair and taught four-year-olds for 40, I think, years, something like that, and had flannel graphs and, and got ready on Sunday afternoon to start to get ready to teach this next Sunday's lesson for four-year-olds. You think, I think you could kind of wing it when it's four-year-olds. Oh, no, not Miss Tatum. She wanted to make sure she was teaching them right. She was doing what God said and trying to teach others so. And according to what Jesus said, unless I'm missing something about Miss Tatum, she's great in the kingdom of heaven. But some pious gas bag that thinks he's got everything figured out because he's a scholar and an MD and a, and a PhD and, and, and graduated, you know, uh, cum laude or summa cum laude or lottie dottie, everybody. I mean, just he's this, he's this scholar. He's this person everybody's following after. And yet he teaches this, but he's actually a drunkard on the side. Nobody else knows about it or he's a, or he's, he's a, he's fornicating or committing adultery. And I'm telling you, Jesus said he's the least in the kingdom of heaven, regardless of how he appears to men. You following this? Because everybody can wear a suit, everybody can wear a tie, everybody can look one way. But I'm telling you, Jesus is interested more than our outward conformity to the society's standards and even God's standards because it's not outward conformity. It's an inward relationship that changes you from the inside out. Because otherwise we are involved in legalism, true legalism saying you've got to be this way to be right with God, to be saved. No, 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 friend. The only way this morning, the only way for you to be right with God is if somebody who never broke one of God's commandments took your penalty, your punishment, and is willing not only to do that, but also to give you his righteous standing, then you've got no hope in this world. But the reason we rejoice every single Sunday and the reason why I've tried to take some time to develop this is because you could be caught up in the exact same things and you might have the praise of man and you might have the approval of people and they may say, that person, they're on their way to heaven because you can just look at them or just look at that person. They got baptized or they're a member of that church or they give this much money or they do that much good or they're a priest or they're a preacher or they're a pastor or they're a deacon or they're in the choir or they run a bus route. Hey, I'm telling you, it's none of those things that makes you right with God. Here's what can make you right with God and the only thing that can make you right with God and that is accepting who Jesus is and what he did for your salvation, that he was buried, that he rose again and that he'll save anybody that'll come to him by faith and by faith alone. Otherwise, you're making a case that will not stand in God's court of law and he'll stop your mouth and, he, and you won't be able to say another thing, but I'm telling you, there's another way to live. And Jesus is getting that across of them. And it blew their mind, no doubt, to think, oh my soul, are you serious? Pharisee so-and-so, rabbi so-and-so is not going to the kingdom of heaven? That's exactly right. They may be great in the kingdom of men, but they're small in the eyes of God. Because they had the praise of men and they loved it. Rabbi so-and-so. Listen at him pray. Man, he's eloquent when he prays. Oh, great God of our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We thank thee and we praise thee. You follow me? All the while, in their self-righteousness, receiving the applause and the praise of men, but under the condemnation of God. I, I thought about it this way, Brother Ted. If, if that is the case, and biblically it is so because Jesus said it's so, then what will the end be of those in the false religions of the world, those sincere and zealous? Do you follow me? If this is the end of those who even recognize the God of the Old Testament, what will the end be of those who do not? It stands to reckon, it stands to reason that this world, humanity at large, and maybe someone here today, is in grave danger of God's judgment even though they may think he's going to let me in. Because my good works are better than my bad works. 
But God knows. God will let me in. You've broken his commandments. Heaven and the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of righteousness. How can someone who's unrighteous be granted entrance in a place of complete righteousness? Evidently, you need something to get in. Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Romans 3, real quick. Romans 3. I want you to see this. Verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. There's a role that the law plays, but it's not that we might try to keep it and earn God's favor. It's actually to show us that there's no way we could keep, have God's favor. It's not the solution. It shows us there's a problem. It's like a thermometer that shows you that you have a temperature, but you don't swallow the thermometer to feel better. That's the law. The law shows you that you are hot with fever of sin. There's only one remedy. Look at verse number 20. Paul, a former Pharisee, a scribe, a scholar, an expert, a legal expert said, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the laws of knowledge of sin, you know you're a sinner, right? But now, look at this, this is good, verse 21, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law, and by the prophets. In other words, the way that a person is saved has always been by grace through faith. And that's why he's going to go on in chapter 4 to say even Abraham was justified by faith. He wasn't justified by the law. He predated the law. This is awesome. Even the, I'm in verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that, what? Believe. Believe. For there is no difference for all, Jew and Gentile alike. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified, there's a judicial term, being justified, declared righteous and treated as such, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, that's a wrath-removing sacrifice, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that we might be just and the that, that he might be rather just and the justifier of them which believeth in Jesus. And then look at the question, where is boasting then? Where is boasting then? In other words, what can you say that, yeah, here's how I got in. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? By of works? Nay, absolutely not. But by law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make what? Void the law through faith? God forbid, but rather this, we establish the law. <laughs> Christian, Christ's righteousness given to us surpasses pharisaical righteousness in kind, in kind, in type, 
not in degree, in kind. In other words, it's not man's righteousness that is built up in you, but it is a gift that is given to you. The experts are weighing in. I think if a person joins a religious society, they'll be okay. I think, you see I'm interviewing them now. Mr. King asks, Mr. O.C., do you believe that there's a hell? Well, you know, I just don't like to talk about that. It's just between God and somebody else. Experts weighing in. As long as a person attends church regularly, or as long as they give substantially, or as long as they do many good things in their society, the expert weighed in. And you can only come in by him. Years ago, Matt Birkinshaw was a student here <clears throat> and in our college department. He was in the Air Force and um, he would help as we'd have people visit from the base at Tinker. I'd go with him. <clears throat> and uh, I forget what his rank was, but anyways, uh, we pull up there at the gates at Tinker and he would show his Credentials his badge, and because of his rank, they, well, they saluted him, and he got in. I thought about it this way. How about I go there today, pull up my CDL driver's license <laughs> with air brakes, <laughs> show them my ID, maybe even have a picture of my son who's now in the National Guard. That's not going to work. It's the Air Force. He's in the Army. I'm definitely not getting in there, right? No, the only way I could get in there is not on who I am. But when I was with him, I got in. You're not going to go to heaven based on who you are. But if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you get in on His righteousness. And that's the only way anybody's getting in. Father, we thank you today. Thank you for our Savior who came not to destroy or annul or set aside the law, but certainly used it to reveal how much we need salvation. And so, dear God, I pray today that if there's anyone here that does not have you as their Savior, Lord, would you help them not to try to weigh in on this and find some of their means out or or anything like that, but that, God, that they would humble themselves and receive the gift of righteousness by faith of, in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'd help those that are sure of their salvation because of righteousness imputed to them through Jesus, that, God, you would help us to get this message out and to let the world know that Jesus indeed does save. Our time is very limited, dear God, and, and there's such a great need today numerically to get this message out. I pray you would give us good speed, good help in the effort. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand here this morning.